Welcome to the Gospel Ministry of Exchange Church. Thank you for connecting with us for our Bible talk today, and please feel free to share these talks with others as well. It's our desire to connect people to Jesus and grow people in Jesus. To find out more about us, please visit our website, www.exchangechurch.org.au. Today, though, we're doing something a bit different as we, as we have it on God's Word. It's going to be a focus today on uh, the persecuted church. Today is International Day of Prayer for the Persecuted Church, as put forward by uh, Open Doors. So today we want to put a focus on them. Uh, Open Doors do a tremendous work in ministering to the church in persecuted countries, uh, often in really extreme and difficult circumstances. To get the pleasure to go on a trip a few years ago and to meet these believers in Tajikistan, which was just fantastic to be able to do that. Uh, so today we want to um, again just put a focus on that. And to help us now, we're just going to watch a video here, which is about uh, a man called Karush who had to leave Iran and flee to Turkey uh, because of persecution he was facing there. That'll just help set the scene. So if you guys want to run that, that'll be great. Just a story there of Karush and uh, the challenge he went through in Iran. Uh, again, um, just picks up what uh, we don't really experience here, but people are experiencing in other countries. And I think one of the things that I see in that uh, today is what it gives to us is perspective when we actually see what other people are going through. It helps, actually helps us to see things from a very different light, different point of view altogether. Uh, so today we want to pick up on that and we're going to go into Acts uh, chapter 7 verse 54 so if you want to grab your Bibles and go there with me we're going to read through and um, start there so starting at verse 54 now when they heard these things they were enraged and they ground their teeth at him but he full of the Holy Spirit gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God and he said behold I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and rushed together at him. Then they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said that, he fell asleep. And Saul approved of his execution. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him, but Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. Uh, Lord, thank you for the opportunity now to come and to just get perspective. Perspective, Lord, on persecution. Perspective, Lord, today that just realigns our vision and gives us clarity going forward. Uh, Father, we thank you. We thank you, Holy Spirit, for the recorded pages of Scripture that we have here, the story of the church. And uh, Lord, we ask now, please, Holy Spirit, just do a work deep in our hearts today where we won't look in, but we will look out with new perspective, I pray. Help us now, we ask, and we pray that in your name, Jesus. Amen. Okay, uh, the book of Acts is really a precious possession that we have from God. It's, it's a powerful insight or perspective 
on uh, how the early church lived and conducted itself in the world where the church was born and growing up into. Uh, Luke is a great historian, he's a great writer and he writes really carefully here under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to record for us an account of the church perhaps over the first 30 years or so of the life of of the church there. Uh, It's a narrative recording the vital stories and the major turning points of the church through those early days. Uh, It's a narrative of Jesus working in the lives of his disciples, saving people and building his church in all sorts of extreme and difficult circumstances. And this is precisely what we see here in sort of Acts chapter 7, chapter 8. There's this major turning point here in the life of the believers at this particular time. At At this point, the church is possibly a few years old And they haven't been true to the words of Jesus, which is to go into all the world and evangelise. They hadn't done that. So the Holy Spirit here works to bring about a major change within the church and chooses to use the vehicle, as it were, of persecution at that particular time. And here's our big idea as we think about today and where we're going. Uh, Persecution is the ordinary lot of every Christian. It serves to grow the church and to bring perspective into our lives. Persecution is the ordinary lot of every Christian. It serves to grow the church and bring perspective uh, to our lives. The backdrop to the New Testament church is all about suffering under persecution. For the first 330 years or so before Emperor Constantine declared Christianity a valid religion and made it the state religion, this is how the church existed and grew, was in the backdrop of persecution through hard times and through challenge. I read in a commentary the other day preparing for this service uh, that the church through the book of Acts is like following a wounded deer through the forest. There's a trail of drops of blood all along the trail as you follow this wounded deer. The church is the same. You actually find the church has spilled plenty of blood through the pages of the New Testament as you follow that through. Now this persecution came in seasons, it came in waves, sometimes more extreme and sometimes less. Uh, There were times of horrendous persecution and bloodshed where Roman emperors uh, would up to maybe hundreds, thousands, crucify Christians put them on wooden poles and line, I think it was the Appian Way, with up to a thousand believers. And then at night time, they would set these believers alight as human torches. Now that's gruesome, but that is the sort of persecution that was on the extreme end. Now other times, things were less than that, not so violent, but it was still rough on them. If you read through the book of Acts, 21 out of the 28 chapters in the book of Acts has persecution there in the background or circumstances surrounded the church at that particular time. And as we think about persecution here, uh, here's what I mean, and I I got this definition from a commentary the other day as well. It says this, uh, the term persecution is used here to describe the aggressive harassment and deliberate ill-treatment of the followers of Jesus, ranging from verbal abuse, denunciation before local magistrates, and initiating court proceedings to beatings, floggings, banishment from a city, exile, execution and lynch killings. We just saw the lynch killing there of uh, Stephen. So the word, the Greek word there for persecution means it's a program or process designed to harass and oppress someone. That's what the word persecution means. 
And this has taken place right throughout the New Testament. There's not a church or people that didn't experience some type of persecution right throughout the New Testament. As I said there, this, this lynch mob got hold of Stephen before, and we, we met him, if you had it in some pre-reading, through Acts chapter 6, and then into chapter 7, we see Stephen become more prominent. He gives this really powerful speech or sermon here about the gospel, and what it is, he goes through the nation of Israel, how it was born in God's providence, and all these actions they did through God, and how God was bringing about the Messiah through this nation, And then Stephen ends this powerful speech towards the end of chapter 7 by saying, you guys, and he was talking to the Sanhedrin or the religious council at the time, surrounded by a whole bunch of other people, he says, you guys have always resisted what God is doing and you've done it again just recently because you've killed the righteous one in Jesus Christ. He finishes with that and the guys that he's talking to are enraged when he brings that up. It says back in that reading that they were gnashing, their, they were grinding their teeth together. It's just like absolute serious rage. They didn't muck around. Instantly, violently angry, they stoned him. Didn't take him to another court to sort of try him properly. They were so filled with rage, let's kill him on the spot. So Stephen, the disciple of Jesus, becomes the very first martyr of the church here as we read about that. This then leads us into Acts chapter 8, where we meet Saul, who we know later to become Paul through the rest of the New Testament. And this violent mob sort of give their coats to Saul. He's going to look after, look after them while they actually do this stoning to Stephen. And that's like, I'm totally agreeing with all this when they lay their coats at the feet of Stephen. So we now see this person, Saul, come in and we see a real turning point here in the life of the church. Let's go back to verse 1 and you can see that. It says here, And Saul approved of his execution, and there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. So what arose that day was a program or a process that day to harass and to oppress the church, to crush the church, to exterminate the church, to put the church out of business. And we actually see that program or process kick into gear by verse 3. It says there in verse 3, but Paul was ravaging the church and entering house after house, he dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. Now again, take note of that word there, ravaging. It's a picture there of a wild beast catching its prey and tearing it apart. Go onto YouTube and watch a YouTube video of a lion there getting on top of an animal, its prey, and it just rips it apart. It just tears it apart limb by limb. So Saul, filled with rage against the followers of Jesus, ravages the church. He wants to tear this church apart. He wants to decimate this church. He goes house to house, dragging men and women off to prison. Forcibly. From house to house, he's removing fathers and mothers and sons and daughters, condemning them to prison and probably some to death. He's ravaging the church. That sounds a bit like what we've seen on the TV recently with Afghanistan. That's what the Taliban are doing. Going from house to house of Christian believers and they're ravaging the Christian church there, tearing it apart, putting it into prison and killing many as well. See, the New Testament church 
grew and expanded in this context of persecution. Here's what Jesus said in John chapter 16. I've said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. But take heart, I've overcome the world. And Paul later wrote this in Acts chapter 14. Strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying that through many tribulations, through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. Not possible tribulations, he's saying through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. This is the normal part and the normal lot of New Testament Christianity, particularly in this context here. Following Jesus involves persecution, involves suffering. Now we might stop there and say that's the context, we can see that, yep, it's right through the New Testament. But what is God doing in this persecution? What is he doing? Is he helpless to stop it and he wish it wasn't happening? Is God there with his hands, as it were, tied behind his back and he just can't stop it, but he wants to stop it? Or is God sovereign and is he using the purposes of Satan and evil people to turn this persecution around for his glory? Well, we absolutely believe that God is sovereign. And absolutely, he does everything in this world or allows anything to take place in this world according to his will, which will achieve his purposes. And he has glorious purposes here to be achieved through the persecution of the church that he's allowed to take place or don't to take place in Acts chapter 8. You see, it appears like at this time the church seemed to be very Jerusalem-centred. They had their church, they had their gospel, and they were keeping it to themselves here in the city of Jerusalem. It hadn't moved too far out of the city, if it had moved out at all. The gospel had just stayed with them in their nice, safe confines. But that was never Jesus' plan. Jesus came to rescue the world. He didn't die on the cross just for the people of Jerusalem. Jesus commanded the, gospel, commanded the disciples sorry, to take the gospel to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria and the four corners of the world, the outermost part of the world. Not just Jerusalem, but at this point, it's stuck. It's stuck in Jerusalem and they're not moving out of Jerusalem. And there's other people who are yet to hear this precious good news. So what does God do via the Holy Spirit? He sovereignly takes this persecution as a tool to motivate and to move believers to spread the gospel. Come back to verse 1 with me again. And Saul approved of this execution, and there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. Comma. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. What happened? They were scattered. They shifted. They moved. They went to other places. Where did they go? It tells us they're Judea and Samaria. That's precisely where Jesus had commanded to go in the first place. They didn't do that. They just got stuck in their nice little safe confines. So the Holy Spirit uses that to grow the church, to expand, to expand the church and to see it move out of its boundaries and borders, to actually reach out and take risk and move into the world. Satan and the world had tried to destroy the church. The world was, through Saul was trying to ravage the church and crush it and just exterminate it. But Jesus has other plans. 
He said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against that. And from here, the church grows. The church expands under and through persecution. And this still happens today. I read this other day from John Stott. It's a comment from him and it says this, an instructive modern parallel is what happened in 1949 in China when the national government was defeated by the communists. 637 China inland mission missionaries were obliged to leave. It seemed a total disaster. Yet, within four years, 286 of the of missionaries had been redeployed in Southeast Asia and Japan, while the national Christians in China, even under severe persecution, began to multiply and now total 30 or 40 times the number they were with the missionaries left, without knowing the exact figures there. The church grows in persecution. It, they thought it was a disaster, that they've all had to leave. But in God's sovereign providence, it was his purpose and plan to grow the church. That's an, an amazing example where communism thought they could exterminate the church. They thought they could ravage the church in China, put it out of business. The church didn't die. The church kept growing. Iran's another place where Karushas come from, suffering harsh pers- uh, persecution. Uh, when the Ayatollah came in back in the late, middle, late 70s, um, there was not a, sorry, the first four or five years, there was a very low number of believers there then because a lot of them left the country. But since then, the church has exploded in Iran. Hundreds and hundreds of percent growth in that church now. And it's all happened through extremely difficult times where the secret police are trying to shut it down, but it keeps growing. It keeps growing. So let's think about that for a moment. Why does God use persecution like that to grow us and to grow the church? How's he using it? What's what's behind that that's really helpful for us to think about? Here's what persecution does. It brings clarity and it brings perspective into our lives. Clarity and perspective. It helps us to see our life and this world from a whole other viewpoint. Not a me-focused viewpoint, but a whole other viewpoint. Now, we live in a country, in a land that's blessed with freedom and comfort. You can jump in your car today, you can have breakfast, get dressed, hop in the car, come here. It's really easy to come to church. It's great. It's free. But it's amazing how freedom and comfort can also be tremendous blind spots in our life as well. We just take things for granted. We actually become a little bit sort of blasé about the freedom we've got. And comfort and ease here can actually serve to dull our vision at times as well, where we don't see things with the clarity that we should see things because we've got it so easy and so comfortable here. Comfort and ease and freedom can actually have us slipping into carelessness and living risk-free lives of safety and pleasure at all costs because we so get used to this freedom and comfort and pleasure, we just want to live a risk-free life. And when that happens, our vision of the gospel and our vision of eternity, it actually gets blurred. It gets blurred. We don't see things clearly with, with comfort and freedom and pleasure filling our vision. We don't see the reality of this broken world we live in. Not, not with absolute clarity. We don't see the brokenness of our own lives as well when it's sort of free and easy as such. And then we don't live with eternity in view either. We're not actually seeing this big picture and thinking of a long-term perspective here. 
And we don't see the lost around about us in that as well. We sort of get wrapped up in this freedom and this comfort we have. All we can really see is ourselves and what's best for me at this point in time and not others. So what do we need? We need another perspective. We need another point of view. We need something to clarify our vision and God chooses to use persecution to clear our vision and to help us see things with sharpness and clarity as they really are. How would you respond if you received a letter like this in your mailbox? We'll stick it up there, but you may not be able. I'll read that out for you. This is a letter that Afghan believers, uh, Afghan Christians received uh, over the last few months in Afghanistan. It says this, Continuing the previous notice of the Mujahideen of the Islamic Emirate, you are instructed to present your children who have converted from Islam to the obsolete religion of Christianity to the Mujahideen of the Islamic Emirate for discussion as soon as possible. You do not have the right to complain about harm to family members or your property. Can you imagine going to your letterbox and pulling that letter out and opening that up and reading that? Either you bring your children to us or we will come and get them. And you have no right to complain about harm to them or your property. Signed, the government. It's sort of stopping your tracks, wouldn't you, if you got that sort of letter? If you got a letter like that from the government, I don't think you'd spend that night doing online shopping. You wouldn't go to Iconic or something like that and pick pink shoes or blue shoes. What will it be tonight? Will it be a big fishing rod or will it be a short fishing rod? Will it be big driving lights for my bull bar? You're probably not going to... None of those things are wrong, okay? So don't hear me saying that's wrong. But you wouldn't be thinking about that too much at all if you got that letter in the mailbox. You just wouldn't, would you? You see, this is what persecution does. It changes our vision of things. It just changes everything. The things we thought were important... All of a sudden we get a letter like that and say, uh, 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 that's not important. Why was I spending so much time on that? And the important things like Jesus and the gospel, which we do think is important, all of a sudden it comes with a whole new perspective of reality when that persecution kicks in. Yeah, absolutely, as I read that, Jesus, you are the most important thing in my life. The gospel is the most important thing in my life. It's just like it's a wake-up call. It just brings perspective into our hearts and our minds. And all of a sudden, the convictions of Christ take a whole new, deeper level when something like that begins to happen. You see, persecution changes our perspective. It changes our point of view. Persecution changes the way we see things. Persecution changes what we value and what we consider is important. It changes everything. The Holy Spirit uses persecution to deepen our relationship with Christ in unusual ways. Now, it's not only happening here in Afghanistan where you might, well, where you would receive a letter like that, uh, but in Burma or Myanmar or Africa or North Korea, there's countless other countries which aren't getting the media attention this time, and these people here are being killed or tortured, or crushed, or their livelihoods are taken away, their homes are burnt down, in all manner of things. So it's all over the world. They're living 
a true New Testament context. They, they read the New Testament and say, yep, that's where we're at. That's where we're at. Christians are dying and suffering every day through persecution. Today, believers will die simply for naming the name of Christ. Nothing else. Like Karush said before, I didn't murder, I didn't steal, just simply followed Jesus in prison and had to leave the country. Today, people will die for simply following Jesus. So why do we bring that up today? Why do we talk about this? Am I trying to scare us all? Am I trying to make you feel guilty or weak? Because you're not like those people in Afghanistan or these other countries. Why am I doing this? I do this because I need perspective. I need perspective. We all need perspective given where we are. In our Western culture, we've actually lived in a bubble, separated from persecution for centuries. We live in a land that is free. It's got liberty, it's got justice, it's got love for all. I mean, Western culture is built on these Christian principles and we thank the Lord for that. We absolutely do. They're blessings of God that we should be receiving thankfully from him. And that's why you actually see Western countries or Western culture generally prospering and flourishing as free societies because they're built on these good principles. They really are. But as I said before, this gets too much in our psyche and we actually lose perspective of what's actually really happening around about us. But if we think about our Western culture where we are now, in this bubble for the last, say, two or three centuries, the bubble's actually beginning to burst a little bit. Culture is beginning to shift around us, even here in Australia. There's a growing element of Western culture here that's actually beginning to move away from Christian values and Christian principles. There's a growing group of people now who see Christianity as a threat. It's a threat to their freedoms and their desires. It's a threat to how they want to live their life. You don't tell me any norms or rules or regulations that come from a Christian perspective. They want to move away from that. When it does come to the issues of morality, our culture is it's shifting away from Christian norms and Christian values. This is the Western culture we're in now. And the culture is actually becoming more vocal about this as well. It's happy to oppose a Christian point of view. They're happy to speak out about it. You've only got to watch the Q&A program on the ABC TV from time to time and you'll get a Christian person potentially come on and you'll just see the venom, as it were, come out of the crowd sometimes. Very, very happy to say exactly what they think. And it is a free country and we respect free speech and all that, but it just shows you they're quick to just, we don't believe that. We're not going to buy that. We're not going to get into that. It's an element that's actually growing. It wasn't there 10 or 20 years ago, but now they're quite happy to be vocal about it. The culture's shifting. Persecution, in a mild way, is actually growing amongst us. We're not being killed for our faith, not like people will today in other countries, but Christians are seen as old-fashioned. They're out of touch with the modern way of thinking. Society's moved on. That's, that's where culture is now. I mean, it could be, do, do, you, do you really believe that gender's only male and female? Haven't you worked out that you can be whatever you want to be? That's where culture is today. So there it is. We've 
got this little diminishing voice in a sense. And the voice that is growing there is happy to just push back against Christian thinking and Christian living. Now, persecution isn't all bad. It's difficult, it's hard, I grant you that, but it's not all bad. God uses it to sharpen our vision to see what's really important in life. So with that in mind, am I supposed to go and look for persecution? Okay, I'm reading the New Testament, I see what Saul's doing, he's ravaging the church and I'm supposed to identify with them. Do I go out and look for somebody who's not a believer and pick an argument with them and hopefully I'll get verbally beat up or physically beat up so now I can say, yep, I've been persecuted? Is that what Paul's expecting us here, uh, Luke's expecting us here to do as we read through the book of Acts? No. He's not telling us to go out and look for it. We don't have to look for it really. If we just uh, come and live the normal Christian life, it'll find us. We don't need to look for it. It'll find us. If we just go about our everyday seeking to love everybody around about us and to be a good community-minded citizen and seeking to get on with everybody around about us, and if we do this in the solid convictions of the gospel, firmly embedded in our hearts, the truth and given to us by the Spirit and worked deep within us, there will come times when your faith will be tested. It could be the gender discussion. It could be a whole range of other discussions. It could be at work where they want to do something to cover their backs and they want you to lie and you say, I'm not going to lie. And then why aren't you going to lie? Because, hey, I follow Jesus and I stand for the truth. You'll get a form of persecution out of that because you just aligned yourself with Christ. I'm not going to do something illegal. So you don't have to look for it. Just live the Christian life and it will find you. And there's your opportunity to actually stand tall for Christ in that particular moment. And when you do that, you will identify with your brothers and sisters in Christ all over the world. And you will identify with the pages of the New Testament facing this same thing and much more, some of them dying today. And here's something else you'll experience. You'll experience the presence of Christ more deeply and sweetly in that moment. You'll experience the hard stuff because when you've actually got to stand up, it's difficult. You need courage, you need your convictions to really kick in and the Spirit to give you the strength to say what needs to be said because you're going to be looked as a square peg in a round hole when you say that. But when you do do that, you will experience the presence of Christ way deeper and way sweeter in your life through that really challenging time. And remember this about persecution. Jesus is growing his church. He multiplies the church through persecution. There may be opposition to your point of view and what you stand for, but there's also people searching for the truth as well at the very same time. I read the other week here in a McCrindle research survey taken through COVID over the last 20 months, and I was just astounded to see this thing they'd found out, which is the young adult population across Australia over the last 20 months has risen significantly in seeking out spiritual advice, spiritual things, in comparison to 20 years previous. In this particular time, God is choosing to use difficult times like COVID, which is not necessarily persecution against believers, but it's just generally hard times. God's using that for lots of young adults, asking the question about spiritual things. So here's a glorious opportunity that we have with the truth of the gospel, with the power of the Holy Spirit, in a mild rising of persecution here in Shepparton, Goulburn Valley and beyond, 
where we actually can have a harvest field of people thinking about spiritual things. People actually open to what's going on about now and asking spiritual questions. So now is the time. Now is the time with a new perspective from persecution to begin to open up our hearts and minds, to stand strong in the gospel, to stand strong in the power the Holy Spirit gives to us and to declare the good, the greatest news we could ever give to anybody and be willing to suffer for that, be willing to be embarrassed for that, to be willing to feel like I'm the only person in the room who's saying this and to know that God will do glorious, glorious things with that in our life and also growing his church with that new perspective. Let me close with a story here. Uh, some of you may know this name, Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Uh, he's, a, he's a man who had perspective when it came through uh, persecution. During the Second World War, uh, Bonhoeffer, a pastor, a theologian and writer, was viewed as a political enemy of the state for his views against Adolf Hitler and the Third Reich of Germany. During his studies in the United States, his friends attempted to persuade him to stay longer and not to return to Germany because they knew the dangers that lay in wait for him there. They knew he was going back to hard times. So Dietrich, don't do it, don't do it, don't put yourself in the hard place. You don't have to do this. But he refused and returned to his homeland because of his commitment to lead and to support the church. Eventually he was arrested and imprisoned at the Teagle Military Prison in April 1943. He would be transferred many times to Gestapo prisons in Berlin, Buchenwald and Schoenberg. He was finally moved to the Flossenburg concentration camp where he would remain until his death on April the 9th, 1945. One of the English officers who was imprisoned with him shared... Bonhoeffer always seemed to, be, to me to spread an atmosphere of happiness and joy over the least incident and profound gratitude for the mere fact that he was alive. He was one of the very few persons I've ever met for whom God was real and always near. Perspective was changing something in the life of Dietrich Bonhoeffer. He was seeing this world from a whole new point of view. On Sunday, April the 8th, 1945, Pastor Bonhoeffer conducted a little service of worship and spoke to us in a way that went to the heart of all of us. He had hardly entered his last prayer when the door opened and two civilians entered. They said, Prisoner Bonhoeffer, come with us. That had, that had only one meaning for all prisoners, the gallows. We said goodbye to him. He took me aside. This is the end. But for me, it's the beginning of life. The next day, he was hanged in Flossenburg. That's perspective. That's perspective. Through hard times, he knew what was real and just God became so much deeper and so much sweeter to him. I pray that God would use persecution in our lives to give us new perspective, that would grow a larger and larger vision of who Christ is and he would expand his church for his glory alone. Let me pray.
God, we thank you this morning that we're able to come and to open up your word. Father, we look at this, we see Acts chapter 8 and we see a massive turning point in the church. The church had become inward focused, didn't move out of Jerusalem. And God, in your loving kindness, growing the gospel, allowed persecution to come onto the church. Sure, there was pain and there was suffering there, Lord, but there was just amazing joy at the same time. The gospel does confound us at times, Lord. But I pray today you would equip us with courage, with love, with conviction, with an outward focus, not an inward focus, that even through persecutions, Lord, be them ever so mild that we may experience here and now where we live. Please help us to be equipped with courage and boldness and love to stand true in those times and to pray that, Lord, through that you would grow your church. You would grow us as individuals. You would help us, Lord, to be available to stand up and speak up. And that, Lord, through that, your kingdom would grow and expand. As we think about that, Lord, I want to pray also for the ones who are really persecuted, people who are losing their lives, people today who will lose their mother or their father, people today who will lose their son or their daughter. We think of the trauma and the grief that they are going to go through today, Lord. Give us perspective, I pray, Father. Give us perspective, I ask, Holy Spirit. Help us to look out. Help us to see the world around about us. Help us to see our brothers and sisters in Christ today who will lay down their lives for the gospel. Help us to pray for them. Help us to do all we can to support them, I ask. So we thank you for that. We thank you for this uh, powerful passage of transition in Acts chapter 8. Uh, Lord, we ask and pray that now in Jesus' name. Amen. We trust you have enjoyed our Bible talk from today. If you have any questions or comments from today's talk, please feel free to contact us at info at exchangechurch.org.au. Also, we love to welcome new people at Exchange Church in person. So consider yourself invited to be with us.